Hello, and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast. The show for people on the go, who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. This week, Pastor Jason Armstrong talks about Colossians 2, 6-15, where Paul discusses how to live a life of faith in Christ, and warns to be alert toward human philosophies and empty deceit. Are we walking in faith or deception? Well, this morning, in our text, we see that we start, start with the word, therefore. And as you probably have heard from Clinton, you've probably heard from me many times, when we start with a passage with the word, therefore, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the therefore, therefore? So, therefore, we are going to go back one verse to get some context outside of our reading today to get some context uh, about what Paul is, is informing the people of Colossae about, what his motivation is. So if we could, we're going to go back to Colossians 2.5, the verse right above our reading, which started in 6 today. And Colossians 2.5 goes, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So we remember as we've been going through the book of Colossians this summer, that indeed Paul is absent in body to those people because he is writing to them from prison in Rome. And we find a statement of encouragement, encouragement telling them that Paul in prison is rejoicing because he's heard of their faith. He's learned of how they're conducting themselves in that, in a disciplined and orderly manner. They're staying solid. They're staying steadfast. They're staying consistent in their faith. Now, this, that word faith, you might want to circle that or underline that today because I, I think that that word itself leads us into this therefore. Because this word faith, it's, it's talking about a divine persuasion. It's the spiritual gift of God that has been placed in the people of Colossae. And Paul rejoices because they are acting and responding accordingly. With this in mind, we do indeed hit the therefore in verse 6. With the foundation of this orderly and firm faith in Christ established, Paul leads us into a section where he gives the faithful direction. He gives them warning And he encourages them to live in their identity in Christ. Christ, the one in whom all the glory of the divine resides. Christ who is victorious over all things, over the rulers and over the authorities of the world, as Paul writes. So as we enter into verse 6, Paul begins by giving a, a direct instruction to the faithful. He gives them the command that as you have received Christ, now you are to walk in him. Another word underlined, walk. Walk in him. You are to live your lives conformed to the union you have entered into with Christ. As you saw or read in that passage, Paul mentions multiple times this idea of living in him. Living in Christ, connected to him in communion. That is an important Important point that Paul keeps making. 
because Paul knows that being connected to Christ in this way involves living, it involves action. Paul knows having received firm faith in Christ through this divine persuasion should not result in simply sitting around and thinking, well, this is pretty good. I'm glad I have this this, uh, thing going on. Christ is not just an internal practice where one solely seeks to further their enlightenment or find this sense of fulfillment. Being a Christian means being transformed by God's grace through faith in Christ, which impels us as we are called to respond. God acts. God initiates. We respond. And our response should be, in faith, is to walk, to act, to pray, to learn and study and be in communion and through the scriptures, conduct our lives and our community in a way that reflects our connection with Christ to all around us, to reflect our eternal identity found in him as we glorify God in all that we do. And we see a similar command given by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light, let your faith, let your identity in me shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And then Paul goes on in verse 7 to describe what it looks like to walk in Christ. He begins by stating we should be rooted, another word to underline, being rooted in Christ, which means being thoroughly connected and grounded in that communion with Christ. We are fixed, fixed, fixed firmly with him. And we all know if a plant or a tree is firmly rooted, if those roots are mature, you can't push it over. You can't take it down. The life is there. Even if you damage that tree or damage that bush, guess what? It grows again because the roots are solid. The roots are firm. The roots are life. So through good times and bad, whether the sun is shining or or the rains are coming or the storms are here, you are rooted. You are alive in Christ. He goes on, we should be built up in him. We build upon the, upon the foundation of faith that's been given to us in Christ. We grow in our spiritual life as we walk established in the faith. We continue to mature. We walk confirmed. It causes us to be firm and unwavering in our fellowship as our faith grows through prayer and our growth faith grows through time in God's word. Again, a story that reminds me of what Paul's describing here is found in both Matthew and Luke. You may know the story where Jesus talks about a house that's built on Christ as the foundation. When that house is built on that foundation, when the storms of life come, that house stands. But a house built on anything other than Christ is built on sand. And when that storm comes, and it will come, that house falls. And the faithful in Colossae can be assured of being rooted and built up in Christ because their faith, again, the spiritual gift from God, has been made strong 
as they were taught, it says. You may remember a few weeks back talking about Epaphras was the one who brought the good news, taught the scriptures to the people in Colossae. That's in Colossians 1, 7 for your reference, if you want to reference that. But I think for us, it, it emphasizes the importance of proper, ongoing teaching of the scriptures. People won't know unless they hear. People won't know unless they read and they, they hear the scriptures and read them. And it gives us an opportunity to, to be able to, a source of God, to be able to evaluate our walk in him. The classic verse we've mentioned many times in our church here, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, for all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that everyone can do God's good work. And finally, to walk in Christ should involve conducting your life abounding in thanksgiving, as Gavin already mentioned in our confession. The thanksgiving about the blessing that we've received, it should be abounding, should be never-ending. We've been given faith in Christ through grace. We've been given the promise of forgiveness. We've been given the promises of salvation. We should have thanksgiving in all circumstances. And people will see that. People will see that light like talking about in Matthew. Because no matter what we face in life, we have been given the eternal and unique identity in Christ. And with that, we go into verse 8, and Paul gives a direction. After Paul gives direction into walking in Christ, he follows this with a warning for the people of Colossae, and by extension, us today. And this point that Paul's making in verse 8 addresses one of the main points of this letter, which is that he is refuting the heresy that is threatening the faithful. This heresy that Christ is not sufficient. Christ is not enough. Christ is not the source of all knowledge and wisdom and salvation. There is other teaching in Colossae that is leading people to believe that they need to follow the emptiness of human philosophy. To look to other sources of the spiritual world to find enlightenment, to find special wisdom that will bring them closer to God rather than going through the only way through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul instructs the faithful as they walk in Christ to see, to perceive to keep alert and discern when they're encountering this type of empty and deceitful philosophy and teaching. Teachings that are void of truth, leading people to believe there's, there's some other way to enlightenment, there's some other way to, to God, again, than through our Lord and our faith in Jesus and walking in firm fellowship with him. Philosophies that look to take their, their faith captive to cause them to walk in another way besides in Christ, in him. In this warning that Paul gives, it's not a casual one. You know, twice this week I was walking through, uh, one, once I was walking through uh, St. Vincent's Hospital, the other time I was walking through a, a gas station. 
And each time they, they had these warning, those plastic yellow warning signs when there was uh, liquid on the floor to not slip, to be careful. And I thought to myself as I walked by those each time that I don't take that warning very seriously. I've yet to have a problem. I'll probably pay for that one day. I don't doubt. But at least at this point, I haven't taken that seriously. There's a warning there, but I, I dismiss it. But unlike that type of warning... This one is critical. This one is crucial because this threat could cause one not to walk in Christ any longer, to reject that eternal identity that they received in Christ. And he communicates this seriousness of this warning in the phrase, no one see to it that no one takes you captive No one takes you captive. There's a notion of being carried away as a victim of this fraud that is being placed on people. In even more graphic terms, it's talking about when a predator hunts its prey and it takes it away in its mouth, takes its victim away in its mouth. Imagine that. That's serious. The Apostle Paul gives us a similar idea of a, as a warning against this deception of walking from walking in Christ. In 1 Peter 5.8, Peter writes this. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Paul and Peter know the threat. And it is dire. But while Paul recognizes this grievous threat, threat, we certainly can't leave this warning and instruction in Colossae because we find ourselves in a similar situation today, the similar situation in regards to faith and our identity in Christ. So we need to continually to be alert to perceiving and discerning philosophies and empty deceit and human tradition that desire to take us captive desire to take us away as prey, to take us away and uproot us from walking in Christ and losing our identity in him. So, what philosophies and human tradition are a threat today that cause us to believe that Christ is not sufficient, to believe the lie that we need something more? To believe that the pursuit of human wisdom is higher and more honorable than the wisdom of God. One of the philosophy that stands out to me right now is the belief that humans are inherently good. And since they are good, they just need to become better. Better under their own power and enlightenment and their own effort. And when we do that or they do that, all the problems of the culture will be solved. Humans effectively become their own savior. Humans become their own God, rather than acknowledging we all sin and fall short of God's glory as we acknowledge in confession each week. This type of humanistic thinking leads to the idolatry and idolatry of self-identity. 
The idea that the most important part of being a human is the identity you create or claim for yourself rather than living into the eternal eternal identity you have been given by God in Christ through grace. So this type of philosophy seems to be pervasive in our culture as we in the West, of course, tend to glorify the individual. And this, this philosophy often shows up in ways that are subtle. Maybe on the surface they even may seem good or, or harmless at least. Consider, I, I think a lot of it comes out in phrases we hear as we consider this this morning. Consider phrases such as living your best life. We've heard that one. You do you. Living your truth. On the surface, these may seem like positive statements of self-identity and affirmation, but look below the surface and we see some issues. And they are about self-identity. If one believes being more, if one believes that you're inherently good, then being more of what you are should be better. That all the problems will be solved through your own effort, through your own enlightenment, through your own obtaining of some human wisdom. But when we live in Christ, our lives are no longer about ourselves. We have submitted to the authority of Christ and we live to glorify him. And find, we find peace. We pass Christ's peace this morning. We find joy. We have eternity in, in him. And we don't walk in our own truth. We walk in the one that is the truth. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So whenever we elevate who we claim to be over the identity that God has given to us as loved children of his who live in faith in Christ, then we've gone down a path that is empty, a path that is devoid of truth. We end up building houses of foundations of sand that will fall. We end up being tossed about from one empty philosophy to another, from one really lie to another. In his letter to Ephesians, Paul describes why we should reject empty philosophies, walk in Christ, become mature. Ephesians 4.14 says that we should walk in Christ and be mature so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. So Paul gives us a dire warning. Now here's the good news. We find it in verse 9 and 10 and onward. Paul undergirds his direction and warning by stating clearly who Christ is. That Christ is, Christ is sufficient. Christ is enough. Because he is divine. We should be confident in our walking in him and our ability to discern and reject misleading human philosophies that want to carry us away. Colossians 2.9 For in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
He is the embodiment of the Godhead. He is divine in him. We already have everything. And this is true. We're set apart as people of faith in Christ. In Colossians 2.10, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Friends, we're connected to that person. We're going to see that. We're going we're to celebrate that at the table this morning. We're connected to him. We're rooted in him with the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit that fills the one who is head of all rule and authority. In effect, Paul is saying, never forget who Christ is and who you are in him. So Paul finishes this section of text by making, uh, this is verses 11 through 15. He makes a theological statement of, of how we have come to be given this identity in Christ. First, he reminds us of our previous, previous identity, which is important. He says in that text, we were once dead in our trespasses and the desires of the flesh. And then God made us alive in Christ as we were connected to him through baptism. All our sins and debts were canceled through the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, the Christ who is victorious, victory over triumph over death and over all the rulers and authorities of this world. Christ rules over them all. It is the victorious Christ is the one who we are in communion with through God's powerful working. This is where we are given and we find our identity, our eternal identity that is unique. It's been given to us through our faith in Christ. So the question we need to ask ourselves as we consider this text this morning is, are we walking in Christ or are we walking in deception? Are we striving to follow Paul's command to walk in Christ and conform our lives to that union that we have with him or have we been taken captive by philosophy and deceit? Systems of belief look to place self-identity over the eternal identity we are given when we receive Christ. So I think it's worth our time and our effort and our faith to discern what's around us as we live our lives. To see where maybe we've been subtly tempted to place, to place other philosophies above Christ. As I was going through this text today, this idea of faith, this divine persuasion. Friends, I look at your families, your grandchildren, your children. I pray every night for my children that they have the divine persuasion. God acts on them in faith. I pray that. We should do the same. So that we can all walk in Christ, rooted, built up, and strengthened in our faith through prayer, through God's word, and we abound in thankfulness each day whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Because we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. We are in communion with Christ. Christ who is everything. Christ who is wholly sufficient. Christ in whom we are truly alive. Christ who is eternally victorious. Amen, friends. We hope you've enjoyed our First Pres Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org.
Have a great week.